All right, so here we are. Uh, this is the PM in Real Life uh, podcast, uh, where we interview project managers, program managers, people who run the projects for a living, uh, to tell about their journey, tell about how they apply project management principles to everyday living, uh, and more importantly, get into the art of what we call project management uh, and dispel some of the myths that exist out there as far as what the profession is uh, and what it should not be. Uh, so I'm your host, Chuck Scott. Today, my guest is Dustin Bill. Uh, Dustin, introduce yourself. We, we want to tell the people as far as name, title, all that fun stuff. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Dustin Bill. Chuck, you call that out. Uh, I am currently working with a startup here in Columbus, Ohio, uh, called Aries Solutions. I am the head of delivery uh, and focused really on kind of the, the project management organization structure of how we do what we do. I appreciate you giving a little insight into what this edit delivery mean. Uh, a lot of our audience members are outside of the world of IT, outside the world of, uh, of project management. And so it's good to, um, to give a little context to that. Uh, fun story, a lot of people, so I came, I started my career with the business side of the house and then flipped over to the IT side of the house. Most of the people in my personal life, Ever since I got out of the business side, they're like, I have no idea what you do. <laughs> what um, did you do in business? So that great question. Uh, <laughs> so I kind of cut my teeth at, uh, at Elbridge, which is parent company to Bath and Body Works, Victoria's Secret, uh, CO Bigelow, Pink Brand, uh, and a host of other reta fashion retailers that have since been sold off. Um, and I spent about six and a half years there, early in my career. And I had four different roles in that span, uh, ranging from finance, then jump over to merchandise planning and allocations, then jump over to two operational roles. Um, so, and, and also this is during the time that omni-channel is becoming a thing. Oh. So everything's got a technology element to it, right? Like even, so going back to uh, my finance days, there was point of sale involved. There was the ERP, which is, was SAP. Uh, there was payments from a banking standpoint to make sure the reconciliation happened with credit card providers. Uh, there was encryption of files and being able to like, you know, recover lost data. Uh, so even though I was a business function, everything I touched was systemic, right? Mm -hmm. Same thing with merchandise planning allocations. I go over there, it's all systemic driven on how we get allocations to stores, right? Um, same thing with operations. Like again, Omnichannel is becoming a thing. So, you know, we're systemically figuring out how to link catalog to uh, mobile, to stores and, you know, make that one stop, a synergy, synergistic is they know word, a synergy for the customer, right? Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So that, that was my, my business side experience. And then around that time is where I started doing IT consulting. Oh, okay. So you, so you got that operational side that I think is so key to, uh, so I think some of the trajectory, and I know we'll kind of talk about this a little bit later, but that operational folks make for fantastic, I feel like delivery managers, because you're, the pace, the demand is always there, right? And so you've got a taste of those different work streams of demand and everything. So that's, that, that totally makes sense. It makes sense <laughs> why we're here. Right. Yeah. It makes sense why we're here. You've seen that in, in work, like when we're working. Um, the other thing that I think is interesting to point out for our viewers is great project managers or program managers are very uh, intrigued and insightful ask questions about everything, right? Like, so I'm interviewing Dustin, yeah, he just interviewed me a little bit. Um, seems to be a trade of great PMs, right? Like, that's one of those things where like, you're not just asking circles level questions, you really want to know everything so that you can plan appropriately for everything. <laughs> oh, absolutely. There's always hidden nuggets, right? In, in, in any kind of conversation, you know, I think it gets genericized to bonding rapport. A lot of times, like they say, you know, key to, key to consulting is bonding rapport, but I think it goes farther, right? Like. If you know someone's background, you know some of the language they might be invested in, uh, where they might have driven some other context that they're driving their decisions stuff to. So I think all that stuff is good. Yeah, I get to man. It's such good. Nice. So we're naturally kind of getting into the art of it, right? So let's let's deep, let's just stay here first thing. Okay? Yeah. Um, and, and I love this because you and I work with each other, but we also like have connected on personal level. Yeah. We see things kind of the same way, uh, even without having to have this conversation. Like I already know where you're going with this. Good project managers, program managers, like you want to know all the agendas at the table. Yes. You want to know the conversation. To your point, like motivations, uh, why are they asking the questions they're asking? Like 
in real time, you're processing all this stuff and then applying and moving and facilitating conversations so that we get to this like calming bit, right? Absolutely. I, I, I love that. <laughs> like, it was like, well, let's play right here. Yeah. Um, okay. So back to you. So, you know, one of the things that's unique about you, you mentioned like consultants, right? Mm -hmm. So you've done, you know, you've been in delivery roles for large corporations. You've been, you know, you work for a startup currently. You've been a, uh, what I like to call it, mercenary, getting like you're just an independent <laughs> consultant on your own. Like you kind of wore all the different hats. Yeah. And, you know, talk a little bit about those experiences, um, what each one gave you as far as like how you built upon each one to go to the next thing. Yeah. Um, and, and again, like how it applies to everyday living, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Uh, it's funny. Uh, you mentioned some roles I've also done and technical account management. So like a sales role, mm -hmm. I, I, I played with that, but, uh, so my journey is, uh, I went to school to be a programmer. Like I went to live, I lived in a very small town and there was only so many disciplines, right? There was technology track was, hey, you're going to be a coder or you're going to drive networking, right? That was the track. So, uh, went into, um, you know, kind of programming, learning the seen old stuff. I don't know, I'm not going to age myself <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, came out of college essentially wanting to, so I went in very specific, well, I want to be a programmer, I want to invent code, we'll make applications, and I came out of that wanting to uh, broaden, that there's so much involved with technology that's not just how it's built, or why was it built, where does it go, right? And all these questions, um, you know, how do you, how do you build into them, right? So we talk about deliveries, you kind of have to you know, I have a sense of everyone's kind of motives and agendas. And so, you know, it's a, it was a trap to build towards. So, you know, I came out of school, went into quality charts, so testing, you know, um, and started to kind of learn, like, okay, what's the intent? And like, where does where this went? Um, you know, kind of fast forward a little bit, uh, ended up in a role here in Columbus where I had to wear multiple hats. And so uh, we would implement a piece of software into a client, and it's still going to pull it in yeah, you could do all kinds of stuff, but this is for um, <clears throat> managing case management for, for a call center. So we had this big platform we bring in and, uh, you know, the contract was, hey, make this operationalized for this team, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so at the time, we didn't have BAs, we didn't have PMs. What we had was this type of gold consultant. Okay. Right. So, uh, you know... Uh, this consultant role configured, built the requirements, also managed the project. Right. And so um, I think I really kind of got my roots, Chuck, uh, in this kind of consulting role. So, you know, we would we'd go to a client, right? And we'd bring this thing in and we say, you know, are you excited? You know, why are you excited? Right. Mm -hmm. And they would they would pull out their Excel spreadsheet, right? And they were like, <laughs> please <laughs> take me away from this Excel spreadsheet, right? So um well, then you kind of went to this path. Okay, their motives are what, right? Why, why, why do they care about the This is fun saving and like all these kind of pieces, right? You start to like just dive deep in all this kind of what are they doing? Where are they going? Kind of a thing, and then how do they get there, right? Yeah. And so you you start, you know, for me it was the first path of not just see this as lines and numbers, but also the people that but use it, right? Like um, everybody, everybody involved in making that decision um, and, and having compassion for what happens as a good luck. Right. Yeah. So uh, uh, kind of digging deep here, but I really think it's, it's, it's where I kind of got this sense of wear the hats. You're a team player. You remove obstacles. Give yourself whatever titles, right? Now I'm just kind of the core for me of getting behind delivery. I think what came after that, you can put into a little bit more of a box form called project management. So what do we mean by project talk, right? We're saying, hey, I've got a fixed budget or a fixed schedule, right? Or both. Right, or both often. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe a couple work streams, right? Uh, and so I, yes, I've done that for a while. Um, you know, kind of exploring uh, what it meant to kind of Structure out of that, right? mm -hmm. um, and kind of put common practices. You start to kind of build that core of like, am I in that phase? Mm -hmm. Am I? Is this? Do I need this big defined PMP structured approach for this scenario? Right? Um, it started kind of there, um, and then in parallel to that, um, I started 
again, I didn't want to lose empathy, right? So, um, you know, depending upon the situation that you're in, it's, we don't want to say, well, you don't want to have compassion. You need to have compassion, but you also need to be a driver, right? Mm, that's a good point. So, uh, learned to, uh, start to play with those balances of the scales, right? Empathy, you know, gosh, this stinks, right? We're in this together, right? But hey, I mean, there's done. Right. <laughs> so, so you're getting on something great here, right? Like this, this concept of uh, this duality of give what a good project manager does of empathy yet drive it, right? That's right. a hard balance to maintain. Um, I love that. So a couple of things I want to touch on, right? Yeah. It is a couple of things. You said one, like this idea of consultancy. And I know when I first switched over from, you know, being a traditional you know, business me, um, and play, play a different roles in the business side of that house. And then moved over to the IT side in the consultant role, because I never was a full-time employee as, the, as a IT person. Now that I think about it, I've only done that for nine months of my entire career. Um, um, so when I switched over, you know, most people in my either professional network or personal network were like, I don't understand how you're consultant in the IT space when you didn't come from the IT background, right? Right. And you kind of touched on it. You said, Team player, multiple hats, right? Um, I don't know the answer to this question, but do you come from a sports background? Do you come? Yes. Okay. No, not. So same here, right? Like flash all over my LinkedIn profile, <laughs> hot hockey enthusiast. Um, but that whole concept of like team sports, yeah. like being able to wear multiple hats or like whatever the team needs you to do right. to get us over the, the goal line per se, right? Like that's really what the role of a consultant is. And so to your point, it gets freed up into different roles within a project team because really there is the deliverable associate with this you and i because of some of our attributes like i would say to your point that that uh capability of understanding empathy how, what's where, where's the team out on the emotional scale every day every week every month etc be able to drive towards the literal but also pop the brakes when it makes sense all these things are basically like almost like a coach or a team leader or some scale. Yeah. and to your point like sometimes we get way down in the weeds with the team sometimes we're operating at a higher level but you know we're just we're very vulnerable in that way right yeah um, so I like, I like how you touched upon, again, the, the role of a consultant. Cause I think people always think like, you know, technical SME coding, and there are consultants that do that, but like in the delivery roles, that's not what we do, right? It's a lot of people, man. It's a lot of being in tune with the team, you know, to use a present day example, I think what Deion Sanders is doing right now on this, you know, global college or not global, but national college stage is an exact impression of that, like good project managers, program managers instill a sense of confidence in the people that execute and instill a sense of like, okay, this is our direction and buy-in to a comic ball, right? And we're just seeing this on great display right now. He's turning a program around overnight just by his presence, right? Um, and then when you think about being a uh, contractor or consultant, that's essentially what you do is you come into a new environment and you are able to instantly impact it, right? I think that's the big difference between a full-time associate who already has built equity in that, in that environment versus like you or I land there. And I was put in a timeline of two weeks of myself. By two weeks, I should be adding value. Like that's kind of the, the way yeah. I look at it. Those first two weeks are just understanding the culture, the players, the environment, what nuances exist already before I got there, what things do I have to attack first. But like my thought process is two weeks in, I should be driving this bus and adding value from a call to stand away. Yeah, I'm so and, you know, and to that point, right, it starts with listening. Mm. starts with listening, right? And I, I, I mean, I know this because you're seasoned like I are. We built tools. Mm -hmm. We can serve with very primitive tools. Give us a spreadsheet. Yeah, like, <laughs> we go a long way because we never know the scenario that we're into. So, okay, so if you don't have tools that facilitate everything, no. you don't have a process maybe that is an organization that's going to put people on their belts and move them to what are you mm -hmm. starts with list right this is what what are what are why are we here right and then where do we need to go and 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 who can tell us that right who can give us the feedback that's new yeah absolutely that's a big piece of the puzzle who here can help me like yeah. figure out which way is up at, in the beginning right um so sorry i, was, I took us back to a couple of points that i love that you made i didn't want to derail you from oh you're good the trajectory <laughs> you're on as far as storytelling yeah so let's, let's hop back on right yes. so we're, we're, we're talking about okay so we've we've built into concepts of dopamine um and we've then gone down a path of a project defining the box what what makes that project successful right so we, we learned technology or what we're susan we learned term and health here right we're learning that we're 
Okay, I need a budget. Well, what does that mean, right? That's the forecasting in us. We see build up this kind of context and uh, and just basic rudimentary kind of function within to to manage all these expectations, right? Um, I think kind of starts there. You kind of need to say, whoa, okay, where am I? And where do we need to go? Uh, and like everybody else, that's kind of where I started, right? So I came out of this delivery, which is just consultant and learning empathy and kind of being, you know, a dynamic team leader. And, and what was really interesting too, is that we had a product that we implemented to clients. And so what that's interesting is that you have two teams, right? You have our team, our internal team, or, and, and you have the client's team. And, and you really got to break down to say, we are a T, right? Right. And, and that, that, so all of this really good chemistry at Sanchez and art, right. Started to kind of formulate. So get into projects, uh, keep us moving. Um, you know, consider, where, where do I go? Right. Everybody's career is once in that, right. Like, so, you know, there's one, I think mindset shock that is like, okay, I'm going to grow through the complexity that I need, right. So, uh, my project budget's 500,000, and I want to take a million dollar project, and I want to take you two million, four million, right? So what's happening behind that together, right? Is what our teams are getting bigger, our work chains are getting longer, there's a lot more stakeholders involved and stuff like that. That's, so it's a very kind of simplistic way to say what kind of tackle to get to grow in. So um, that's one aspect that I you know, was kind of learning. Um, but also for me, what drove me and motivated me was why it kept just digging at me right like what is, where is this uh, where is this backlog of, of, of things to be done right i, I don't know how many probably your fair share of these we get a project like one page paper yeah. like this is supposed to define two years of development of objectives and goals and it's like whoa where is the why then sure and that used to just eat at me like how do i get to why so i started doing um some pre-sales engagement opportunities because I can define project was right, and so I could hear people uh, express their opinions towards the product and get a sense of what a project would be to make that project come reality, right? So I started to play with this, and like I took on a technical account management role, um, and also uh, that role came with it's live. So now that feedback, mm-hmm. that wonderful feedback, yes. <laughs> of, you've either you hit the mark or you didn't. And what do you do to fix it? Right. So, um, you know, I experimented there for a while. Um, but I just, my passions were founded in just the execution of ideas. Guys, gotcha. I came back, right? Came back. Um, and then, so I'm right, so back in project management. So where do you scale from there? And that became program. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so program, uh, multiple work streams. And I think the biggest distinction, shout right, out, let me it. pause it for a second. So again, if you're tuning in for the first time here, program management is the next level of project management. Think of directors of, of project work streams that all come up to the whole. So, uh, program managers typically, uh, consider directors in their respective worlds. Uh, and the def- the true definition is a program manager manages multiple project managers, all under one program that's, you know, again, these work streams all roll up to the common goal. Typically they're big enough work streams at an organization where the program manager's primary function is managing the budgets because they're so massive, mm-hmm. uh, managing the resources and just moving them, moving those chess pieces around, whether it be supporting things within the organization or just within the program itself or both, um, as well as stakeholder engagement is a huge piece of that, right? Um, and we, when we talk about stakeholders, we're talking about you know, chief market executives, uh, chief uh, CEOs, chief operating officers, uh, you know, it might be the head of planning if it's a supply chain initiative. Yep. It's normally what we call C-suite executives. Um, so you're interfacing directly with them, you're filling their questions, you're building a sense of confidence with that group um, and making sure that they understand the ebbs and flows of the project, but also like what those challenges are and you're escalating issues that need uh, that level of support to be able to resolve those issues so that the project can maintain its path towards uh, success and implementation. Absolutely. And I would also add on top of that, that the ambiguity is high. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you, you go from kind of a defined, you know, we need to achieve X by Y to um, these kind of objective statements, right? Things become more uh, just be- becomes a, a process to get to what do we need to do? And that is a phase onto itself, right? And, and in these programs, right? And so it, it's, it's, it's fasting. Also, you, uh, 
you know, it, it starts to really view continuous streams mm-hmm. as opposed to an end date. So, yep. so our, we talk about methodologies a lot of times, right? And how that changes and the mindset changes with that, right? We're, we're talking about dealing with project managers and they're also dealing with, um, you know, a lot more sometimes, especially today, is like agile frameworks, right? We're, we're talking about continuously uh, executing day over day towards, you know, something that's kind of prioritized and managed. And so you're, you're focused a lot more on um, creating the framework that allows the rate to be accountable and to communicate better. So, we, yeah, right. And so the stakes are high. You tell me, you're, you're definitely, you're seeing a lot more top of the, Top of the mountain. Yeah. Topic, right? So I'm going to pause for a second. I always spend some time talking yeah. about the built. So you mentioned ambiguity. Yeah. I don't want in project work with people talking about ambiguity. It's not only like, what's the scope of this project work stream? Uh, what's the budget, right? Because we're doing a lot of estimates. Yeah. Get in. Oh. Um, but at the program level, to your point, like these are multi-year roadmaps. It's very ambiguous in the beginning. Yep. Um, you're engaging stakeholders on like, what are we trying to accomplish? So it's, it's conceptual what we're trying to accomplish. But a lot of times as program managers, if there's no existing framework from a methodology standpoint and from an execution standpoint, you might spend a ton of time just on building that framework. To your point, you said this, but like I kind of want you to tease that a little bit. Like yeah. how do you build accountability, right? Because that's a big part of the delivery model um, is building out the frameworks. And, and you also kind of touched on it as you were cruising through, but I really was since the time of this, the concept that like there's a program, mm-hmm. agile delivery teams, contractor resources that are associated with the program, that program budget, right? Like, oh yeah. So talk a little bit about like that, all those moving pieces of one. Yeah. Yeah. So let's break that down. There's a lot there, right? Yep. Um, yeah. So you're right. When, when you, when you hit that next tier, when you're starting to, uh, you know, manage multiple streams and multiple objectives, um, you're starting to wear different hats that feel a lot like, um, director titles manager titles right because you're, you're focused on a lot of the components that are necessary for this the extreme of focus to continue so breaking that down one is this framework for how everybody is communicating basic level stuff what i'm working on why i'm working on it what i need so you know you have to start with kind of creating this um, framework that everybody feels safe and empowered into, um, and also creates or is there uh, this this dynamic for delegation, mm-hmm. right? Because we're we're program level, our budgets get big, uh, our team sizes get huge, and we're talking internal and external. Uh, a lot of times, these enterprise level projects, yeah, right? uh, or suited programs, and uh, so. You, you are encountering, encountering a lot of different technology, right? Which has all kinds of different ways to interact, restrictions and dependencies, all these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. You're trying to normalize as much <laughs> as you can, right? Yeah. Um, and what's really interesting is, at least in my experiences, the the programs that I've had to interact with, you're hopping into different textual else to summarize points of information, right? Because we're talking about that executive team does not want to hear that lowest level require of detail, right? No, they do not. They do not. Uh, and even for that matter, the the next tier up, which is, you know, when is these series of tapes going to be done? Isn't isn't probably I am up, right? So they're looking at like actual deliverables and they kind of want to understand what's that milestone date. And honestly, to your point, the C-suite gets what they're hyper-focused on. Oh, absolutely. And remember what going back to what I was telling you is that a lot of times the playbook to execute against that was handed to with is very light. Mm-hmm. So you have to build those bridges for everybody, the highest level, the kind of middle management and an initiative ownership level, and then down to an individual. Yeah. Uh, one of the big things that would like really pull out for our listeners is, okay, so you mentioned executives, you mentioned internal teams, you mentioned external like contracting teams, yeah. consultants are doing some of this work. No. A lot of times there's vendors as well, like vendor partner source. Um, and, and if it's if you think of it from a business standpoint, a lot of times the vendors, the business vendors have vendor technology vendors of their own that also are part of these initiatives. So to your point, the coordination, the communication, all that is essentially the job. It sounds so 
when you say it on paper, like on a resume, it sounds so basic, like, okay, <laughs> right? <laughs> but when you paint the picture of what a program looks like, and all these moving pieces, and for people outside of technology, they don't really grasp the concept of how complex technology initiatives are, right? And, and they just can't grasp, like, why the technology people get paid what they do? Like, what makes that job so hard, right? I always jokingly say, the concept of the, um, the misconception outside of technology is, it's just copy and paste, right? Ryan, don't worry about that. Ryan, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to, sorry, I wouldn't tease that out a little bit, just like what that means when you talk about communication at every different level, and to your point, tailoring communication to the executive level, to the director level, to the middle management level, to the individual contributor levels, to business analysts, to scrum masters, like, cause they're all playing different roles, wearing different hats and all this, to business needs, to cross control, you know, linear partners, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, yeah. It's huge coordinated efforts. But it really is. Yeah. And, and just, to, just, I wonder, everybody always needs something, right? Everybody's raising their hand, I need something. Mm -hmm. And uh, at a lot of times, the buck stops with the program manager, right? So to, we don't like to know the answer, but we need to direct, right? We need to coordinate. Uh, and so how do you, you know, some of that contextual knowledge and, and knowing the processes that play that are within that engagement with that individual contributor group or with the management level within it, it's a science to itself, right? It's an analogy. It absolutely is. I think about, um, you know, there's, there's this concept of a communication plan, right? And then only at the beginning of a project or a program, you kind of kick that out from all the different people who bought it. And you, to your point, it, it becomes an empowering piece because what it does is it establishes like, hey, these are these are meeting cadences, right? We're trying to not over inundate you, oh, yeah. but we're also trying to have a framework in place so that we can quickly get to decisions and continue delivering work, right? Um, and then also establishes exactly what you said there, the empowerment to make decisions because in the beginning, you kind of establish like, okay, middle manager is going to be in this meeting. Yeah. Or tech lead is going to be in this meeting. They are powered to make those calls because we can't wait for two weeks for it to go all the way up the food chain, oh, yeah. all the way back down. No, we need the systems being made rapidly, right? That kind of ties into the agile delivery model, right? Yeah. Like, even though we're not going to iterate indefinitely because it's a project, we do need to be able to quickly get resolution from somebody playing the, the, the product donor role, right? Like, um, so yeah, it's the complexity is there. I just, I, I like to paint that picture yeah. in this forum of what these projects look like. Because again, like people outside of technology, even people that are, that are end users of it, don't understand the nuance that goes into testing, you know, right. and discovery, uh, definition, resolution, you know, uh, the, the inevitable gotchas that come right. along the way that, you know, because to your point, the charter's a couple pages, maybe three. Maybe three for a three-year roadmap. <laughs> You've got some more robust ones than I've got before. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like a, pro a project charter literally can be one to three pages long for a three-year program. Yeah. And so to your point, high level of ambiguity. Um, and, you know, I I'll be the first to admit this. So as a program manager, you know, you come in, a lot of times project teams that are internal won't say this, but they, they already think like their project's going to fail. They're like, we don't know about. Oh, yeah, that's exactly. That's real. It's real. So we have to instill a level of confidence in them in that high ambiguity phase in the beginning until things get defined of like, hey, I know the next step. And that's all really we own is I understand the next step and I've been driving to the next step. All right, I know what the next two steps are. I've been driving to the next two right. steps, two and three. And I'm going to continue to communicate like, we just need to get here to be able to do X, Y, and Z. If we need to define this to be prepared for steps four, five, six, like, th those are the moving pieces that, you know, in our role, that's really the, where the conversation comes into place, yes. right? Um, it, it's funny because uh, you and I were going to play a game with Tetris while doing this conversation and display it to our users because I feel like the building blocks in Tetris and the planning that goes into like creating a structure where you can be successful is everything we're talking about. I love the analogy yeah. and the metaphor there. Uh, unfortunately, our technology build us. Uh, <laughs> our, our technology in the room is too uh, current for an old game like a Tetris. But Tetris is tried and true in this way, and like the methodology uh, makes sense for a metaphor for this, what we do every day. Then you know what's funny? You talk about, hey, we're gonna move you to that next step, and sometimes that next step is figuring out the next step. It is. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. So I think it's an interesting dynamic 
uh, the difference between program and project here, right? where, where the scale level changes. Project, you know all your steps for the most part. There's, there's ambiguity, for sure, but, but it's got to be here. This has got to be here by this date. And when you get programmed, it's objectively based. Mm -hmm. And those steps are, which objectives do we go after first? How do we align that? How do we unbox that objective, right? And then the ambiguity that surrounds that step or objective is you called out that sometimes it is external and involved. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, bringing uh, other applications, you know, you think about, I think the time thinking about project management often is just, oh, I've got developers, I've got testing, and then I've got sign off, right? Yeah. Like, but, but you've got procurement, legal, and, uh, and, and marketing folks, and all these different stakeholders, right? And, and you've got operational folks, and, and um, all of these people come to playing the program, but not all at once, right? And that's also striking the balance, right? The, you're talking about the next step. Who's involved in that step? Mm -hmm. What I think is interesting, though, is it, Chuck, it always kind of comes back to, uh, and I get back to basic caveman and tools for project management to still apply programs. So you mentioned communication. Mm -hmm. That is a tool, right? That communication plan, oftentimes in programs, it becomes updated, it needs updated. So it's not a, I'm done with this, right. it's gone, but it's this tool drives one objective, mm -hmm. right? And that's, that is so key, I think, to scaling your abilities is, you know, is learning the basics. Okay, well, why do I need a chart? It's behind why, and then the hustle can drive some really good negotiation steps early on set expectations. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, you hit all one of my favorite things in project and program management, all right. which is negotiate. Yeah, yeah, negotiate. So nobody thinks of our roles as they go to them. <laughs> and again, you know, I hate the fact that the roles of program managers, project managers, I feel like it's been, you know, uh, a kind of, I don't know, I, I hate to use the word bastardized, but that's the word that always comes to mind, mm -hmm. is, you know, it's been bastardized into the people that just create project plans and become taskmasters talking about tasks and dates. And that's all, it's all in the deeper they get to, right? So you start about negotiations. So deep dive in there a little bit. Negotiations. Yeah. Yeah. Negotiations are, uh, what comes back to three basic concepts, you only have so much budget to obtain the thing, right? And the, and the budget is kind of either buying you time or buying you scope or buying you a resource mm -hmm. to achieve that goal, right? So um, that is kind of the core is really always at finance. But within that element, the negotiations occur always on schedule and scope then beyond that, right? So how can we hit our date? Where are we negotiating? Where are we compromising? Uh, and that's often going to be in scope, right? Or potentially resource. Um, but you know, we're compromising, um, on that element. So if we're, if we're, if we're going to come, uh, if we're going to hit a target, if, if a date doesn't move, then our scope is being where you can sit. Uh, if, um, scope is everything in which I'd love in those projects, <laughs> but, but it's real world, um, <clears throat> scope is everything then you can negotiate against scope like that schedule right so you can say this to this particular series of objectives is going to go far beyond the differential expectation but you are the individual who is bringing the facts to bear at the table with the appropriate people which let's talk about that too yeah we're going to talk about negotiation it's getting the right people to the table and uh it's not a defined it's not here is a playbook. These people are your decision makers. Um, it's not always the top of the pyramid, right? Uh, it's a blend and it's situational based. Yeah. Every client's different. Like you would like it to be well-defined, but sometimes it's like there's a third party, when I say third party, another stakeholder that nobody ever mentioned on the project. They're like, you know what? Because legal, compliance, yeah, yeah. Like legal, compliance, procurement, some yeah, other yeah. internal party where they're, you know, now it's just some complexity someone is telling you like, Hey, we need to involve so-and-so they weren't involved ever before, but now this impacts their work, right? Like, uh, when we get back, we get to the concept of a raid log. So, you know, who's responsible, uh, who's accountable, who's informed, uh, who's a decision maker, right? Like when you think about that, it could, it could potentially be anyone in any organization, right? Who is typically your client as a consultant. So things can get wide real quick. Okay. You thought it was going to involve two departments. That involves eight, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
For those keeping track at home, we've mentioned kind of three pieces of tooling so far. The, the, the communication plan, the project charter, and the RAID law, right? Mm -hmm. uh, whether you run a project, whether you're running um, a program, um, or some other definition picture company gives it terminology or doesn't give it that particular title, mm -hmm. these tools uh, can scale, right? And so they're, they're your fallback. So, you know, as we continue to talk about scaling complexity, it's still gonna be boiled down to these tools I don't like to call them documents or templates or artifacts because it's, it just, it makes it sound static. Yes. And they can't do static. No. <laughs> I mean, gosh, I would love a project charter that's static. <laughs> you know? They never are. No, they never are. So you have to have that mindset. This is a tool. I have to explicitly know me in code, what I'm doing with this tool and why I have it. And if you can't, then no one else is. Yeah. I love thought of them also bringing it into the fold here certain things that we as individuals have created as like mantras for ourselves. So you mentioned something about caveman tools, like tease that, tease that, cause I have like tons of my own, but I, really, I love hearing about other people's yeah. things they come up on their own, so. Uh, yeah, so I call them caveman tools because I can, for me personally, I can drive most of them out of an assessment, okay? And so I start there with a mindset because no tools ever given. There are cloud-based tools that have subscriptions to organizations and choose to either enable all the feature sets of or not. But as you scale in complexity, your needs to cross-reference information is restricted oftentimes because that's the upper tiers of tooling, mm -hmm. right? So what do you do when you don't have that? You have to have the base to do this yourself. And then you can consume data however you can get it and you can Use your caveman tools, <laughs> using an Excel spreadsheet to drive that. Yep. No, I think that's great. Um, and so, you know, I'll, I'll speak for myself in this caveman tools. <laughs> so, so for me, like just getting some tips for PMs out there uh, that may be listening. So for me, to your point, Excel can do so much. Excel can manage a project if I need it to. It's not the best tool, but it could, or if I really need it to. Project, yes. Program, probably not, right? Like, so right. let's eliminate there. Yes. Um, I also, you know, I try not to over-indate the team with uh, overhead from a tooling standpoint if it's unnecessary. So small work streams, meaning like maybe I've got two of those on my plate for, you know, that I'm managing simultaneously smaller work streams, I might use a simple Trello board. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I just need to build a little assign task to people. They get an email. It's free. You mentioned this earlier. Like, it's free, so I don't have to ask, you know, I don't have to spend money as a consultant. I also don't have to ask the client to spend money. Yeah. This tool is free and everybody can use it at the basic levels, right? Like, obviously, they'll sell you more services. And quite frankly, whole, right? yeah. yeah, but quite frankly, you can manage it. Yeah. Um, if the company, if the organization or client has Jira, that's a great tool. I feel like that covers program level down with project level. Right. It can be a simple Kanban board, so that ties to, like, a Trello board. Or it can be as complex as you want to be. It could be a waterfall work stream. It could be an agile work stream. Yep. Scrum, you name it. Like at this point, Jira has evolved it, you know, well, yeah. to get into, uh, it's become the kind of go-to tool these days. Um, you know, I love a good, great Microsoft Excel, um, or, I'm sorry, Microsoft project uh, plan, especially the program level. But again, I, one of my mantras is to not duplicate efforts, meaning oh, yeah. it's the Scrum, yeah, Scrum teacher in Jira, and then managing to the shredded level and the Jira level, I should be managing its milestone level because that's a that's a the next step above them. And so they understand what ties to each, you know, whether it be an epic or whether it be some type of deliverable, you know, whatever that is. Like they understand that these things tie to my project plan to milestone here, and then that that milestone ties to whatever I'm reporting up to the C suite. You know, it, yeah. it's just that, but none of it duplicated effort. Right. That's my whole thing. I in the beginning, I, I think back in decade ago, I remember PMs like. Chasing down, uh, back then it was development managers. It was always Scrum Masters, right? You know, like, all right, which Jira tickets tied to yeah. you know, this milestone? Like, it was just duplicate effort, right? Like, then we got dashboards. They got easier uh, in Jira. And so, you know, at this point, I feel like you can manage at the next level up, and it just saves everybody in kind of headaches of us as delivery leads chasing down the, the execution teams, right? Yeah. But, you know, it's great. So you mentioned Jira. What is Jira? This is a work breakdown structure. Right? Yes. So you go back to caveman tools days, it could be post-it notes on a whiteboard, yep. right? 
And the reason why I want to say that is, yes, we've come a long way in technology that makes these things. And sometimes they're free and sometimes they're buried. But you always got to have the plan B and then the fallback, right? Like, what happens if you're in an environment where the internet dies? You know, like, how are we working? Right, how are we working? But on the flip side, let's go to the other side of that chocolate. You know, COVID, uh, all our incomes in COVID. And, and one of the things that was really interesting about COVID, and I know we're deep into a tool set here, but, but, but tools are so important. Yeah. One of the really interesting things uh, uh, that I got out of COVID was uh, this ex- uh, assessment of information management and collaboration, ease of use. So, for example, like you can get a Google Drive. It mm-hmm. comes with a Word, Excel, or blah, blah, blah. Um, and the office has a very com- com- uh, compatible uh, kind of offering as well. And there's others out there as well. Um, <clears throat> there are interesting ways in which people interact with live information. Uh, so if you have a document, I have to, as a human being, I have to find that document's location, mm-hmm. then have to go into that document, and I have to find somewhere in that document the thing that matters to me or that I matter to you about, right? Um, if I am something that's indexed, right, like I can type into a search bar and get to that location, mm-hmm. the barrier to entry is much smaller. Um, and it's why we use ticketing tools, right? The level of information and, and the ass- uh, assignment of activities and other components are one two books away right for always so i i bring this up to say um for purposes of scale of buying a process will not work unless you have buying it right and so always have empathy for those who are not in our space i you know a developer for example is not a project manager that normally wanted to be thank you <laughs> but but i need i need accountability for mission right so if I'm maybe working with architecture or working with development, I am putting best to put myself in their shoes. If I have too many complicated tests, if I'm requiring too much level of estimation, if I'm requiring too level of detail before executing or something like that, they're not the block. No. I would love that level, right? And you know you would too. Like, tell me the estimate, tell me your daily update on yeah. the status, tell me whether you're concerned you're not going to hit, like, all of that. And gosh, you would love that, right? But um, if you start layering in all of these metadata points to, to this word being accomplished, you don't have buy-in. You gotta constantly think, what's the minimum amount of information that I need? The case band tool, yep. right? It's the minimum level of information that I need to keep everybody accountable. Yeah, and the thing is, it does tooling, if that tooling's built correctly, the story, the data will tell the story. Right, it will tell so You don't story. need to ask. The data will tell the yes. story. Um, and that becomes, that's when we kind of take an add on off and put on the new, what I call the audit ad, right? Because yeah. then you start asking the hard questions of, you know, okay, development teams tell me we're going to hit this date, but the data says something else. So then you start saying, explain to me how. And sometimes it's a case of like, maybe we built the metric wrong, right? In the first place, like maybe something that we, we only gave 10% credit to is really 50%, yeah. right? And that's already done. Sometimes that does happen, right? But I need to I need to be able to ask that question because otherwise I'm questioning if we're really close or gonna hit this date, right? Yep. Um, so yeah, those toolings become our our audit function. Yeah. Um, and and that is a you know as a delivery lead that is a role that we play as well, right? Like the, the transparency up top to C suites, uh, we can say that with confidence and we can kill their question because we have data for our analysis. Yeah, and it's interesting to me if you're out there too, uh, deliberately as well, right? Deliberately can be a program manager plus plumbing mm-hmm. types, right? Uh, we, we can get into that too as well. But um, <clears throat> so, yes, it's interesting, right? We talked about uh, simplicity mm-hmm. uh, and complexity, right? And it's like, and that's the, I feel like that is in a nutshell what, what a program manager is trying to do take complexity and simplify it, yep. right? So that it can be handed off, so it can be understood. So that if, but, you know, like we say, it sounds easy on paper, right? But, on paper, it sounds super easy. No, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but it comes back to what do you need and why do you need it? Yeah. I, I want to take our conversation in slight different directions. Yeah. We talked about the empathy, which typically goes from like our roles down to the project team, right? Yeah. Let's talk about building trust, which is the upward mobility, right? Like, and the ability to influence uh, stakeholder groups. So let's talk a little bit about that because I feel like, again, it's communication on paper 
right? And it's presenting information. But the reality is it's so much more complex than that, right? Yep. Um, so yeah, let's, let's spend a little bit of time there. On trust, yeah. So um, trust, in my mind, can be broken down to a couple of statements. Say what you're going to do and do it. Mm. And if you want to, like, hey, we're in an elevator, here's my floor, yeah. say what you're going to do and do it. Um, but let's unbox that, right? So um, we use a lot of terminology in project management, right? Because we're trying to convey risk, and the risk is elements of, you know, likelihood and impact. Mm -hmm. um, or if something's already happened, what is its impact and what is the mitigation, right? And, and these are just big fancy words to say, if it happens, what are we going to do, right? Or how do we avoid it from happening, right? So risk is an element to trust. You know, it's, it's expressing that you are thinking dynamically, thinking holistically. So that's a piece to trust. But another level of, uh, of trust is um, building um, advisory level of, of communications. You know, you're oftentimes working with steering of uh, individuals who are not in every bit of the detail that you, because that's what you are hired for, or yeah. your responsibility, right? So um, conveying level of information so well an easy way to communicate and talk about to have this kind of table of conversation like yeah. we are about something massively complex exactly is is, is a trustworthy component yeah it, it, i would pause here and just kind of talk to them to the viewers for a second here so to paint the picture again we play a roles in spaces where we are consultants to organizations so what we're describing here is the process of Coming into an organization, interfacing directly with the people at the top of every silo of that organization, and them say, saying things that means to us like, "Oh, why can't the team do X, Y, Z?" And we're like, "Well, we're at the, we're in the weeds with that team. I can tell you why." And actually, what I would recommend is this other path forward. Right. Imagine that having that conversation with the C, you know, the CEO of your company, the CEO of your company, the CMO of your company. You probably, as a listener, don't have those conversations right. at your own company. So imagine coming externally and having those conversations, and you've been there all of a month, two months, three months. You know, like it's a very interesting dynamic. It takes a hyper level of confidence, and the only way that you're going to have that confidence is this tooling, this framework, the thought process of building out methodologies. Uh, essentially, you're creating an environment and structure so that we can do our jobs all day long. And be that kind of go between to drive accountability, but also be able to speak with just confidence on these highly complex, you know, programs that are moving and changing every single day. Um, and I don't think we've said it yet so far, but you know, programs normally are fifty plus people involved. Like sometimes it's high as a hundred, right? Somewhere in the fifty, I would say fifty to hundred is a program. They get bigger. They get bigger. bigger. But you know, like these large organizations, like you are literally the, the everything to everybody for fifty to hundred people. And, you know, you often hear the term matrix environment. Uh, matrix environment means you have a, a hodgepodge of full-time employees, contract associates, um, and they don't necessarily all report. There's not a direct reporting structure. We're just all here to create, uh, I'm sorry, to facilitate and complete a job. Mm -hmm. So to be a leader in a matrix environment is also a totally new dynamic that most people aren't aware of because, yeah. again, like, I'm calling out risk and issues towards a common goal, to the executive leadership, or you will, but those people don't necessarily report directly to us. They're accountable to the project team, yeah, right. and we're accountable to the stakeholder group from a transparency and execution standpoint, right? Yeah. It's a very interesting dynamic that goes on here. Yeah, and let's, so why are we having these executive level conversations, mm -hmm. right? The exec's mindset is, I'm here to either consume a status or I'm to remove a blocker. Yep. Words are very, very powerful because they're very, very expensive. The more you incorporate these executive level time or a dedicated time. So um, there's a couple of uh, elements I think have lost in trust. So we talked about trust from their observation, some executive leadership observation of your ability to control the consumer information that's going on. We are also talking about your trust of, I would say, yeah, of, of the you know, the director level of, or management level of individuals in that room, because you are representing their teams mm -hmm. and their uh, abilities or inabilities at times, right? It's true. Um, and so there is a um, very, very important step when it comes to trust on that. And that is that you never want to present information that has not been first discussed individually, mm -hmm. right? 
to come to these big organizations and for to you know have specific callouts, specific situations against a particular work stream, and not being a member mm-hmm. uh, or support function for that is a disservice to them. Warren, agreed. Um, but it also will damage your trust and ability to function and have access to information. Every, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. To your point, no one's going to give you information anymore. Matter of fact, they're going to become standoffish, right? Yeah. Um, and it creates a, a very bad scenario of the program or the project team as a whole. Because now you as that go-between, um, or me, myself, as a go-between, now one of those braces is broken. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that just can't be. Quite frankly, it leads to dysfunction, right? Um, it's almost like having an alcoholic family member or a drug addict, right? Like, you just can't have that broken element of the family. Now, um, the facts are the facts, right? It, like, it, it's still true. But as I say, I say there's, there's, there's art and there's science. I mean, art behind this is that we are a team. And when I say we, I'm not talking about just development, testing, stakeholders. I'm talking about directors, yep. managers, VPs, whatever is in the sauce of the chemistry of that implementation, right? And so, yeah, trust is so important. Um, and it is, um, it takes dedication and it takes time. You know, you, especially if you're in the new individual coming in, you know, say what you're going to do, do it for everybody, not just the exit. Right. Yeah. No, that's, so that's another interesting about everything. It's even holding executives accountable towards if we do raise a blocker to know, right? Like to your point earlier, we're, we're bringing status to them that they will consume or blockers that we need them to remove. In the few instances where we ran that blocker, that executive team cannot sit on that blocker for weeks and expect us to maintain a project plan, a timeline, right? Like, so it's even holding them accountable to if this isn't removed by X date, then why outcome happens, right? Like leading to understand that. And that's quite frankly, that's what they appreciate yeah. and need us to do is to set the priority of, you can't sit on this. I know you have a million things on your plate, but like, this is actually important to this work stream. Yeah. So either you're comfortable with timeline shifting or you're going to give us yeah. the answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we talk about a program. You have to establish steering. So mm-hmm. you, you create that meeting. You create when that meeting occurs. You create how that meeting is conducted. Mm-hmm. You you create accountability to everybody in that room, and that is one of your most expensive meetings in your entire program. Oh, yeah, because it's needed involvement to it. So uh, it is so hypercritical to to invest in building that up the way you need it to be. Yeah, right. I'm glad you said that again because you said it earlier. I forgot to bring us back to it how expensive meetings are. To your point, in IT, resources are expensive. When you have, you know, I, I say this all the time, half hour meeting IT typically costs at least $1,000, if not more. And that's a small group within the rentals. When you get the larger meetings and you got executive level people there, it could be a $5,000 hour. Or more, right? Or more. So our ability to, to your point, facilitate the agenda, make sure that for things that we're getting, we have all the right information to come out of that meeting with the expected outcomes to set the tone of what those outcomes or expectations are. So like, you know, the amount of prep that goes into a meeting to make that valuable $5,000 or more hour, you know, we pay for ourselves 10 times over just by paralysis. <laughs> Again, like, you know, on paper, conducts and facilitates right. meetings sounds so basic. Yeah. <laughs> but what we're really doing is there's lots of pre-work that goes into that, setting the tone of like what's expected and making sure the right players are going to be there with all their moving calendars. Water is, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Make sure they're bought into, you're coming out with the decision in this meeting. We're not having three more meetings at the same cost and losing time, which also costs, you know, I, it, it's those things that I think that people outside of IT don't really understand what this role uh, and the value that it brings to the table. I think they only realize it when they see it in like fluid and done externally well and a massive program delivers, delivers quiet and without a bunch of fallout and it delivers smoothly and you know, everybody goes on with their life to the next project of like for that work stream. It was easy. I think that's what they appreciate afterwards. They're like, yeah, I can't remember the other five projects were like this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's real. That's yeah. Real. Um, and whether you're full-time or a contractor, and I think the, the, the states are even higher as a contractor. We just mentioned uh, very uh, powerful and important people from an organization, right? And, <clears throat> and 
uh, to be considered a valuable contributor, to be considered a valuable peer, they're not looking at you like your title matters. They're looking at you as an owner of a very oftentimes important initiative. Yep. And not to take that lightly, right? Especially if you're, if you're external, um, you know, you are even an extension on that organization, right? You're an extension of that objective. There's often big stakes, big bets uh, at, at play. And a lot of people are building their career, by the way, in the middle of your implementation of this, right? Yeah, we don't stop. We don't stop. So our frameworks of communication and all these things uh, enable people to either do their job or to stumble over things like administration and escalation and and those things like that. So yeah. there's, a, there's a lot at stake that's not necessarily said, written on paper that comes from this role. Yeah. I think the last point I'll kind of make here, because I know we're kind of getting the time and I say this to all of my guests. I'll probably have you done talk more about it, right? Because we can talk about this all later. Um, is this concept of, you know, we're, we're external parties, to your point, how do we add value in a way that people find it valuable, is a lot of times teams don't add the bandwidth on their team to do this work or in the skill set, right? So normally project work or program work is in addition to what already takes up 100% of their time, which is keeping the lights on work or day-to-day or on the way or fruits, right? This is something new. It's a huge lift for the team. It takes someone that's 100% focused to get them from point A to point B, right? Um, and it takes a level of, I'll call it seniority, experience, uh, demeanor to interface with, again, the executives of a corporation and to be able to add value at that level where they say, yes, this critical work streak when they got done, unless I brought in that type, that level of resource. Um, I think that often gets lost in the mix of, you know, people just say, hey, you know, it's project management, it's program management, and they're just like, it's just X. And here we are defining what X really looks like. On paper, sure, it's just X. In reality, it's so much from the board. Yeah. 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 So, I, you know, I, I really want to drive one of that point and make sure that people understand that uh, there's there's definitely a value add to be had here. I think organizations that hire contractors like ourselves in delivery league roles, program management roles, they understand that value. They understand that purpose and that need. And that's why they budget for such a role. Um, I don't know that the average, even small business understands that when they go to do a ERP implementation or some type of systemic change, they probably need that level of action. Teams to come in and hold the vendors accountable, hold you know, the teams accountable, help drive that forward and probably in a more streamlined fashion than they would otherwise. Yeah, right, because in absence of that, they have to take that on, whether they know it or not, or whether they're willing to sign up for that or not, right? And, yep. and then also there comes into that a bias, right? And oftentimes you need to remove the bias other so that you can have, you know, the negotiation on the road, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. If I, if I own this thing and I'm responsible for this thing to, to change, um, I am absorbing a lot of roles and responsibilities, and um, it's very hard to take an agnostic approach when compromising you, when things go awry, right? Uh, very. And then one last thing you, you got to touch on too, when he said that a program is like fifty to one hundred people. So if you imagine take an organization and you take a hundred of their people and you put them in a room, uh, all kinds of different titles, all kinds of different roles, objectives. Um, and you're bringing in a new way in which they work or a new system that which it brings the change management, right? Uh, uh, all of this dynamic change and operational role of operationalizing and, and, uh, the technology stack that comes with it, the, the development of it, the ownership, the technology that comes with all of this is kind of happening in parallel, right? Yes. And that's what I'm saying. The program is responsible for that level of, of, of change, but you uh, do have a role to play that you are helping empowering everybody. Mm-hmm. So executives, so that they're, they're wise and understood across everybody, right? So that the um, individual who is showing the talent and aptitude to engage in your program, who is removing those barriers, that they have recognition, right? That the teams have retrospectives on how they can perform and improve, right? That also goes into program, right? Like that, that is the, that, um, yeah, all those skills that come in play. Yeah. You know, it's totally part of that. Um, really quick before you get out of here, 
let's uh i'll give you the opportunity if there's any, anybody you want to shout out or companies or products or anything else you want to promote uh you mentioned where you worked before give you the opportunity to promote what you guys do yeah absolutely so uh if you are in the midst of building a new website or considering a composable e-commerce strategy uh look us up aries uh, solutions. Uh, we are a commerce tools partner and implement into many other composable uh, marketplaces out there. So come check us out. Awesome website. Uh, Ariasolutions.io. All right. And again, Chuck Scott, Scott Q Consulting. Uh, you can reach me at cscott at scottq.consulting. There is no.com on the end of that. <laughs> uh, I love saying that all the time. Uh, Thanks again, listeners. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this forum. This is the first time I've done a video format. So uh, please feel free to subscribe to the newly created YouTube channel for the uh, for the podcast. Uh, I will have this in audio form as well. Uh, and be sure to comment, uh, whether it be a LinkedIn, share. Um, let me know the feedback. Uh, this is a new forum. This is episode two. I thank my guest, Dustin, for being Thanks. on. Uh, I will be happy to have you on again. Uh, to talk more because we could probably spend eight hours on <laughs> this subject alone. Yeah. But thanks again, listeners, and we will talk soon. Thanks, everybody.